At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. church. Good morning. How we doing? Blessed. It feels kind of like fall out there, doesn't it? Wow. Okay. Well, I have these really adorable little baskets that we have for our church picnic. And on these little popsicle sticks, we have things that people can bring to donate. Does anyone want to grab a popsicle stick to donate something for our church picnic? Okay, yes. Sharon, can you pass these around? If you want to, those are going to be passed around. And um, yeah, one thing we have coming up is our church picnic. Two weeks. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be at our... Yes. We don't raise hands around here. We cheer. Okay? Yeah. Yes. Okay, there we go. There we go. So yes, we cheer. We hoot. We haul. We raise the roof. Yes. Even though that's from the early 2000s, late 90s. But the thing is this, uh, we have those little baskets because we want someone to, we want our church to have buy-in. We want us to invest, even if it's bringing napkins or a 12-pack of soda. And so if that's something you would like to do, just raise your hand and we can have someone come around. And you just take a popsicle stick or two or three, however many you want, and each one has a item that you can give. And I was really excited because we had those out last week and we ended up having almost half of them taken because of our generosity. And so it's very exciting with that because we have serve opportunities. We have opportunities to bring something. So if you've not RSVP'd or you haven't signed up to serve, if that's something you would like to do, we have those. We have a QR code that we have in the cafe for serving and for RSVP. So we would love to see you sign up and be engaged in that way. So this moment, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our moment of worship. Father, thank you again so much for this morning that we can spend time in your word, that we can be intentional as a church, even in the sense of taking a popsicle stick and be able to invest in, in what we're doing here as a church through our picnic, through... Uh, being able to be a family, a fellowship, and we are so grateful that we can have this time together, that we know that even though we come on a Sunday morning to gather, that we have 8.30 service, 10 o'clock, 11.30, so many different people, different walks of life, but we are all one church. So Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this all in your name, amen. So yes, so I'm going to ask a question. And this question is one that I've been struggling with this week. And so when thinking through this question, I understand that we probably, all of them are gone? Okay, wow, okay. Man, 
sometimes people do call me a basket case. So, uh, that was bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Buckets. It's a drop in the bucket, right? Okay. <laughs> so, so here we go. I'll try to save this moment, which is going to be difficult. Have you ever felt sorry for yourself? Right? Have you ever had a moment where you thought, man, this is not what I planned. This is not what I feel like I deserve. This is not what I calculated to make sense. I've worked hard. I deserve that promotion. I deserve that recognition. I deserve that pay. When I was thinking through my life, this is not how I thought it would be. Have you ever thought that you deserved something else? Maybe it was even with friendships. Maybe you were that friend, you listened, you answered the call, you counseled, you invested, and then in that moment, they did not take your advice. Have you ever had someone, it was like you invested, you cared, you gave them an advice, and they did the exact opposite. And you're like, really? And then they got the exact result that you knew they would get, and they still didn't listen. And so even that, you're like, really? And so I believe that today is going to be so good for all of us because we see and we read a story of Elijah where he struggled with self-pity. You know, he was throwing a party, but in this case, it was a, it was a pity party. We've all been there. We've all experienced it. And this amazing man of God who just slayed over 800 false prophets who performed miracles, saw fire coming down from above, uh, scorching his sacrifice. He was fed by ravens. He raised a child from the dead. And even in this moment... Because he was a man with the nature like us, he struggled with self-pity. He struggled with despair. And so do we. We all have these moments. I remember a situation in particular. It's when I graduated from college and I just finished my bachelor's degree from Central Christian College of the Bible in Missouri. And my wife had a year left of school, so we moved over to Hannibal, Missouri. And I had all my friends that last semester, they were getting jobs as youth pastors. They were getting jobs as senior pastors, associate directors, children's directors, missionaries, worship pastors. They were getting all these jobs. And then here I I graduate, I moved to Hannibal, Missouri, and I couldn't find a job. Actually, I looked around, I started applying for positions, couldn't find a job. And so here I am, just finished my school, just paid buckets of money to get this education, couldn't find a job. And so my wife, she went into a place that she worked a couple years prior, and she said, hey, could my husband work here? And they said, sure, we'll hire him on. So my very first job post-college was a pizza delivery boy. So there I am making $10 an hour, living on tips, delivering pizzas. And in that moment, I had some self-pity. Like, really, God? 
I, I went into college to become a, a pastor, to serve you, to minister to our, to our country, and, and now I'm delivering, you know, a, a, a meat lover's pizza to Days Inn? Like, I, I was thinking through that. What, God, is your plan for me? I was, I was pretty down. What, what did I do wrong? What, what am I missing? A, am, am I supposed to be... A pastor? Am I supposed to be in this position? And so I remember vividly thinking to myself, wow, this is not what I planned after internships and mission trips and, and, and all these classes and papers. And now here I am. I was having a pity party because I had this image in my mind and that's not how it went. And I deserve better. I deserved a better plan. That's, that's what I thought. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have all been there. And probably in an area of our life right now, we are there. <laughs> this area. This area of my life. I feel that it should be better. I feel like it should be, me, be making more sense. I, I, I think this is what it should be. And Elijah was no different. Actually, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19... And in 1 Kings 19, this is after all those amazing miracles we've talked about for the last four weeks. Him standing up to the most powerful man and woman in that region. Him standing up to these prophets of Baal. Him, him helping to feed a widow and raise her son up and God providing for him. All these incredible things have happened. And so we have now the response of Elijah. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? What's going to go on in this story? Because in this moment where he battled self-pity, where, where God meets him and brings him out of this pit, we see that God's call, God's call for his life conquers self-pity. And it's the same with us. God's call conquers our self-pity. That he calls us out and with that call, it will conquer the self-pity. Now, we hear this word often, call. right? He calls. I feel like God's calling me. God's calling me to do this. God's calling me to do that. We're going to explain what, what does this call look like? How does this actually play out in our life? And, and I believe we'll see three callings God makes to conquer our self-pity. So, so the first thing we see with God's call is that he actually draws us to himself. That he doesn't say, okay, this is what I want you to do, Elijah. I want you to go and I want you to work out for an hour, you know, to get that, the dopamines and stuff going. You know, I want you to go and, and have a Red Bull energy drink and I want you to go on a hike. No, he actually calls him to himself. We see the first thing is a drawing to the Father. And so let's go ahead and jump in the story in, in 1 Kings 19. And we'll start with verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of, the, of one of them by this time tomorrow. So here we have this moment where the miracle has happened, 
Israel has seen that Yahweh is God, and Ahab and Jezebel, they don't respond with repentance. They don't respond with, with redemption. I, I mean, you look at Jezebel, she's as mad as a red flag in a bull, right? Like, like she is angry. She is hot. So much so that she's like, you're dead. Elijah, you're dead. You're going to be dead like those prophets that you killed. And so in this moment, you would think that Elijah, like, really, is that it, Jezebel? Like, bring it. Come on. I just slayed 850 false prophets because God is Yahweh and Yahweh is God. You think your threats are going to scare me? God's in my corner. Is that how he responded? What we really see is a completely different spot response that we, would, that we would have foresaw based on what we've read the last three chapters. Let's read in verse 3 through 5 how he responded. Then he was, he was afraid. Like, what? He was afraid. And he rose, he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. He said, it's, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. Remember James 5.17? He's a man with a nature like ours. He's showing that he is very much human. He just stood up and was bold and courageous. And then here in this moment, he's afraid. And he runs for his life. And he drops off his, his, his mentee. He drops off his servant. And then he goes even a further journey, a, year, a day's journey into the wilderness. And he plops under a broom tree. And he says, God, I want to die. What's going on here? I, I mean, do we see... That he has some like manic depressive qualities? Like, like one day he's this, the other day he's that? What, what, what is going on here? Instead of faith in God's protection and provision in his life, Elijah responds with fear. It's where his self-pity starts to take over. He sits under a tree. And apparently... He's in despair. He's defeated. Apparently, he believes that he has failed because Israel has not turned. After all these amazing miracles, these supernatural acts of God, Jezebel and Ahab still do not turn to God. And so he's in this moment of suffering, and he lays down and he sleeps. How about you guys? When we're low, what do we do? We usually don't go to the gym and, and, do, and clean our house and do our, our bills and, and achieve a task we've wanted to do, a project around the home. What do we do? We usually, we sleep. I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel anything. I am callous. I am numb. I am apathetic. I don't want to stand up. 
I don't want to take care of my hygiene. I don't want to take care of my bills. I don't want to be driven. I want to lay down and I want to be a potato. Right? That's all we want to do. Sleep. Rest. And so in this moment, Elijah, he doesn't want to do anything but sit under a broom tree and sleep and rest. Well, let's see how this story plays out as he sits and lays under this broom tree. This is what it says. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. So here God shows up and he brings an angel. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. So he woke up and he ate and he went back to sleep. Sound like us? <laughs> And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So in this moment, God does not want to give Elijah what he wants. Right? We say it all the time. God doesn't give us what we want. He, he gives us what we need. What he wants to do is wallow in self-pity. But instead of allowing him to do it, he summons Elijah. You know, we might be tempted to be fixated by this angel appearing and supplying this food that helped him for 40 days to be able to, be nutri uh, to have the nutrition he needs. But we see here on, on this situation that Elijah, as he was in his self-pity, God called him back to mission. Hey, Elijah, eat. I got something else for you. I know you're down. I know you're broken. But I need you to get up. You need the strength. This journey's going to be hard. And so he sends him on this mission, and he goes to the very mountain, Mount Horeb, where Moses received the covenant from God. So now he's at this mountain. It's where God and Moses met, and he's there, and we're going to witness what else is going to happen here. Because this is a very important mountain that we see in the Bible. This is where in Exodus 34, where we see... That the Lord, it declared that the Lord is God, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But in his self-pity, God does not reject him. God doesn't turn Elijah in his weakness away, but actually draws him closer to himself. He revitalizes him with the nutrition he needs. He sends him on a mission and he does the same to you and me. It's important to know this because self-pity, it often alienates us. Those who are good at throwing pity parties aren't always the most enjoyable to be around. It's tough. It's depressing. They're not, these pity parties are not well attended. And they make the people around tired. We, we see it often with 
in sports, those in the locker room, right? A team isn't just what they do on the court, on the field, on the diamond. There's stuff that happens within that locker room that creates the health of the team. And there's people that tend to be toxic because of their self-pity. I deserve this contract. We're about to start football season. There's football season. Football players holding out because they believe they deserve more. They deserve this. They deserve that. And, and those things, they add a toxicity to a team. Because in that room, they're vocal. They're self-pity. It tends to hurt. And so we need to know that in our self-pity, and we all have it, that God, he runs into our mess. He runs into our fires, he runs into our chaos, and he runs into our pity. That our God's like, oh no, not that drama queen again. Oh man, that person always is causing drama. I'm out. No, actually he draws us to himself. He runs into these things. Whatever, fire, chaos, pity, our mess, he runs into it. God doesn't turn the person away who's in despair. He invites us to see his grace and he draws near to us and close to us. Remember the words of Psalm 34, 18, that God is close to those who are broken in spirit, those who are brokenhearted. He is near to those that are crushed in spirit. That we serve a God who is near and a God who's close. Not just when we're in the great spots, but even when we're broken, we're in pity, we're in struggle, that he is near and he is close. I love this quote by Dane Ortland. He says this, it reminds us of this truth. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot of significance has slipped through our fingers... When we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we are laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us and embraces us with solidarity. That's our God. He has been there. God conquers self-pity by calling us to himself, by drawing us to himself. Secondly, he conquers self-pity by calling us to his truth. By calling us to his truth. Look at this in verses 9 through 10. It, it says this, there he came to a cave. We see Elijah, he goes to this mountain, then he goes to a cave and he lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I say often that God is the best question asker that has ever lived. Probing questions. We know he knows the answer, but he asks a question and he gets him thinking. And so Elijah responds, I've been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So now we see what he's struggling with. He's in self-pity. God, I'm alone. I have followed the path. 
I've answered your call. I've done every single thing you've asked of me. I've been obedient. I've prayed in faith. I've ran for my life for these three and a half years from Ahab and Jezebel. And even at the end of all this, I'm alone and they want my life. He feels like he deserves better. I'm the prophet of God. The nation should be repenting. They should be returning. They should be on fire for you, Lord. They should be passionate. And yet, I am alone. He thinks he should be a pastor when yet he's delivering pizzas, right? Hey, I got half off pizzas. That was worth it. The, the point is this. He felt like something, some type of result should have happened, which it didn't. You guys ever feel that way? This is what I should get. My marriage should be better. B- better yet, I should have like three kids by now, which by the way, I found out I'm having four. Okay, yes. Yep. Thank you, thank you. But the whole point is this. Usually when we try to plan out things, those plans are dust in the wind, right? Because we're trying to make our plans. God had a bigger plan. And as Elijah's wallowing in his self-pity, God draws him to truth. And we know we have the truth in his word. We know that, guys. We know that we cannot walk in truth and not spend time in the truth. That if this is not a part of your daily rhythms, then you might not know the truth or know what to do or how to approach things of this world. That we have the holy inspired word. And so in this case, I actually want to share some negative effects of self-pity. Because so often, self-pity, it draws us into these lies. Self-pity keeps you from believing God, yourself, and others. You just don't believe it. You don't believe any of it. Self-pity, it separates you from team, from family, from friends, from resources. Self-pity isolates. You feel alone. You feel empty. Self-pity, it paralyzes you into inaction. It keeps you focused on the past. Self-pity keeps you from seeing the great future possibilities. What can happen? What can be? Self-pity is an excuse for not taking responsibility and blaming everything on external sources. There's no part of us in it. Self-pity brings you and everyone around you down. And so these are some negative results, and these are things that we're starting to see with Elijah. And so let's continue to, to read this dialogue between him and God, because it starts to get even a little more interesting. And so he said, God, he heard his response, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So he hasn't answered him yet. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing, Elijah? 
So here we have that same question again. What are you doing? What are you doing here, Elijah? He responded almost exactly the same way. Look at this. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He responds the same way. I'm alone. You look and skip over to verse 18. He speaks into this truth. There's 7,000 in Israel. I will leave 7,000. No, you're not alone. There are 7,000, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You are not alone in this. There are 7,000. He spoke into his insecurity and he shared, you are not alone in this mess. Not just I am with you, but there are other people who have not given in, have not fallen. Now verse 12, 11 and 12 are often misinterpreted to identify that God doesn't show up in the great and awesome natural actions, but in the still, small voice. And that is, that is true, but what's important to remember is when Moses was on the mountain, he experienced this this great storm. People even witnessed it from afar. The wind, the fire, the earthquake, all this. He's having the same experience as Moses did in this situation. That even with his small voice, there's still these natural elements that are happening all around. And so Moses and Elijah, as they stand before God, Yahweh's hand shields Moses, Elijah wraps his face in his cloak before his presence. So Moses shields, he got shielded by God. Elijah wraps his cloak for being in the presence of God. And then his word follows. This is the truth. You're saying you're alone. You're saying that this is lost. It's not lost. He thinks he has failed. His ministry is completely a wash. But the quietness of Yahweh's work does not mean he is not at work, but rather that the kingdom of God has gone into its mustard seed mode. We say it all the time. We worship to it in one of our songs, Waymaker. Even when we don't see it or feel it, he's still working. But in the quietness of Yahweh's work, it still means he's working. God is working. And some of us, we might not think it, we may not feel it, but nonetheless, he is working. And as Elijah got this answer, it helped him. It helped him to see. As God responds to his self-pity, his skewed perspective, he reveals the truth. I think that's that's something we need to understand as well. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that God's truth cannot be ignored. If we want to have a thriving relationship with him. If we want to know the correct responses, the correct answers. It is in his truth. So he calls us to himself. 
He speaks truth into our life. The final way that he conquers self-pity is God calls us to serve. He calls us into service. Look at what it says in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael the king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So he's under this tree, he rests, he goes to the mountain, he goes to a cave probably to be a hermit, and then here he goes and he gets to speak with God, and God doesn't sit there and counsel him for 10 days or 20 days, he actually calls him into service. He calls him to go. He responds to Elijah's repeated declaration, I'm the only one left, and he turns his self-focus into an opportunity for him to be commissioned yet again. And he goes out, Elijah, even in his suffering, even in his self-pity, he goes and he anoints the new king of Syria, the new king of the northern kingdom where Ahab is, he anoints Jehu, and then he actually goes and he anoints his successor, the prophet Elisha. And so in this, it's important for us to understand personally that his call in our moments of self-pity is to go. Is to not stay in the cave. Some of us, we've been hanging in the cave. Been hiding in the cave. Been lost in the cave. His call is to go, to get out of the cave. Self-pity is defeated by service. And and I think about that in our church because I, I believe, and I know it's a bold statement, that if we're part of a faith community, we are called to serve. We are called to invest in each other. And when everything is so self focused, it robs us from the heartbeat of Christ, which is a heart of service. He came again not to be served, but to serve and give his life. I love this quote about that. Often our self pity results from not being servants, but instead being focused on being served. We need to look to Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do when he was in the moments of trial, when he could have had self-pity, when he could have been self-focused? He served. He gave and did not expect in return. And so it's the same with us, that we are called to serve. And in some cases, some of us, we've been sitting in the seats too long. We've been warming a seat too long. Maybe it's, we just need community. You want truth? You want to be drawn to him? You want to serve? Get in a life group where we go from rows to circles where we can find genuine community that will speak into us and we will speak into them and you serve 
one another. We're going to be talking about that in the next couple weeks in our fall launch because we want to be a church of groups, a church of smaller communities within our bigger community so we could have genuine fellowship, genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as our self-pity is defeated, we need to know it's when we look to the conquering work of God through his truth and even through our service. You know, I heard this illustration and the story goes like this. This guy was walking down the street and he falls in a pit. So he's stuck in this pit. There's no way out. He tries. He tries clawing up the side. There is no way he's getting out without help. So then he sees someone walking, back, walking by at the, at the pit. He yells up, hey, hey, I'm stuck in this pit. Can you help me? Well, it's a doctor. So the doctor sees him down there and he says, I can, I can see you're really anxious. Let me write you a prescription. So he throws the prescription down in the pit. Walks away. Then another person walks by a little time later. Hey, hey, can you help me out? I'm stuck in this pit. It's a teacher. The teacher educates him about the tip, about the, about the, the, the pit and, and the circumference and how to, how to get out of there and some movements and understanding of the soil and all that. And then he even gives him some of the notes and he throws the notes in. Then another person walks by. He yells, hey, I'm down here. Can you help me? I'm stuck. I can't get out. This time it's Jesus. Jesus runs and he jumps and he lands at the bottom of the pit. The guy says, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck in here. What what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of here? Jesus said, I've been in here before. I've been in this pit but I know the way out. Come with me and I will guide you out of this pit. And so often we think that Jesus is the one looking down in the pit, throwing a rope down, when really he's been in the pit with us. He's experienced everything that we have experienced. He understands the temptation of self-pity. He understands temptations in general. He has went through things that we all have been through And he endured the cross. But he knows the way out. Guys, it's time for us to get out of the cave. It's time for us to get out of the pit. And the only way out is through Jesus. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve for him to jump down in the mess with us. But that's who our Lord is. That's who our Savior is. Are you willing to take that first step to conquer and overcome your self-pity? The first step is through Jesus. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your truth. That we have, we have a way out. And if we are stuck in self-pity and despair, if we believe that we deserve better or entitled to greater things than we're receiving, Father, I pray we look to the good news that you have not abandoned us in our self-pity. Just as Elijah's selfish heart was overcome by the presence and perspective and purposes of you, so I pray we are overcome by your grace. That you came for the self-pity. 
You came for the people who were battling despair. You came to rescue through the cross and the resurrection. Father, I pray that we remember it's through your call that self-pity is conquered. And let us be challenged that we have an opportunity to listen. But will we answer with obedience? Pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.